Section 16 of President Lincoln's Attitude Toward Slavery and Emancipation by Henry Watson Wilbur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Conclusion of the Matter What must be the right solution of the race situation? What hope is there that fundamental justice will be done the Negro? In the first place, a re-education of public opinion regarding the prescribed race is necessary. The public conscience, especially in the North, must be aroused. That absolutely false reasoning which measures the worth and possibilities of the whole race by the morally bad and economically shiftless Negro men and women should be corrected. The Negro's possibilities must be measured as they are for any other race by the best and most successful among them, and not by the worst and worthless. In the second place, the supposition that the so-called weaker race was made inferior by the Creator, that its members might become and continue menials for the so-called superior race, needs to be shown up as a monstrous charge of injustice against the Almighty. Such a conclusion leads to the flippant assertion that the negro must be kept in his place that of course means at the bottom and under the absolute control of the white man as a matter of fact any place is the negro's which he can fill and especially if he can fill it as well or a little better than anybody else any plan which provides a fixed class and an unalterable condition for any set of men and women such condition to pass from father to son is against the spirit of modern civilization and if attempted will provide trouble for society at large in its efforts to work out the plan it is common nowadays to hear as we did before the civil war the demand that the South be allowed to regulate its affairs in its own way. As to that, the South has pretty generally had its own way in the matter, the North having practically permitted the overthrow of the results of the war, and it has not insisted that the fruits of freedom should be gathered and enjoyed by the enslaved race. The same type of men who, in the antebellum days, supported slavery, and after the war came sympathized with the South, are now very pronounced in condemning any discussion of the present situation as a belated and wicked revival of the sectional issue. But no section of a country and no nation is likely to be allowed to manage its affairs in its own way if that way runs counter to the moral standards which the civilized world sets up for the humane regulation of affairs. If the South had not inaugurated the rebellion resulting in the legal elimination of slavery, it is pretty certain that the moral conscience of Christendom would have forced the issue of emancipation upon the United States. We are not thus indifferent when inclination and interest direct us to take a hand in the moral renovation of nations. We insist upon the observance of certain standards in Mexico, a direct contradiction of the theory that sections and nations be allowed to manage their affairs in their own way. We grow red in the face about the system of peonage said to exist south of the Rio Grande, while closing our eyes to a similar system being established in artful and indirect ways within our own territory. 
Raising the sectional issues cannot be done by anybody in the clear. The woe belongs to those who create conditions which invite criticism, and not to those who call attention to the conditions. One does not need to travel far, or examine very closely, to discover real conditions in the South which warrant the claim that in the politics of that section, race, prejudice, and not character and fitness are the governing things in determining the suffrage. A few months ago, the writer rode six miles in a rural section of South Carolina with a one-mule white farmer. We simply hired the farmer and the mule to carry us to visit the principal of one of the most useful of the colored schools in the South. The point we wish to make is that, when it came to education, judgment, and the scoring of success, the white one-mule farmer is vastly the inferior of the Negro school principal, yet the latter is disfranchised, while the inferior white man holds up his head as a full-fledged voter, having a voice in the government of the commonwealth of which he is a citizen, but by right no more so than is his dusky neighbor. A few weeks later, at the commencement of a Negro educational institution, we heard an ex-Confederate brigadier make a speech. He rang the changes on the fact that opening the door of opportunity for men was the moving spirit at the center of modern civilization. But he did not say a word about the door of civic opportunity for the Negro, on the other side of which he can alone contend for his economic and other rights. At this commencement, three colored men, men of affairs too, made short speeches, in form and finish, as good as their white competitors. Yet, when it comes to the task of making the government of the state more fit by having a voice in it, these men might just as well have never been born, or have made failures rather than successes, in the work of life one is sure to meet with certain pathetic incidents as he sees forceful and well-equipped colored men in their own habitat if they are speaking directly or indirectly into the ears of southern white men they speak down to white prejudice for instance it is not uncommon for them to throw a parenthesis into their remarks like this but the colored men are not in politics in this section this assertion is supposed to be an olive branch of peace offered to white prejudice. That any self-respecting colored man, who has all of the qualifications which the South has prescribed for the suffrage, finds it worth while to make a confession like that, throws more light on the situation than pages of comment could possibly do. The point is not whether the North could be any better than the South under the same circumstances, we very much doubt if it would. What we wish to enforce is that the race question is not a sectional, but simply a human one. One may easily sympathize with both the southern white men and the southern negro, as they face the perplexing race problem in its worst phases. But sympathy becomes a diluted humbug when it holds in solution apology for injustice and blind race prejudice and hatred. Whatever may have been the civic folly of unqualified suffrage in the nineteenth century, it cannot be atoned for by qualified disfranchisement and denial of privileges purely because of color in the twentieth. 
that kind of conduct is at variance with the genius of our institutions and with the spirit of our ideals if it is finally established which god forbid that certain rights and privileges are denied to a class of men not because they are unfit to enjoy them but because of the color of the pigment in their skin we would be promoting a type of political race slavery as finally fatal to the ruling as to the subject class but the right conscience in our national life will not permit these things long to be we shall finally cease to whisper our fears into the face of commercial advantage and to live a lie because of trade and traffic rather shall we shout our hope for justice into the face of class and race prejudice and deal morally economically and politically with men as men and not because they are white or black end of section sixteen and end of President Lincoln's Attitude Toward Slavery and Emancipation by Henry Watson Wilbur.